Welcome on in, everyone. This is the Oklahoma podcast presented by the Highball Network. We are the Heisman Park Rangers. I am Ryan Chapman, and I am joined by the Hall of Famer, Randy Heights. Randy, what's up, man? Not much. How are you doing tonight? It's it's our crazy times we're dealing with this this week's game, huh? I know, I know, and we'll kind of get into that, but obviously the Sooners shut out Missouri State in game one. Easy going, except for the fact that that game almost didn't happen. We start hearing, okay, we feel better about the Sooners' chances, and all of a sudden we're waiting on testing out of Manhattan, Kansas, as the Wildcats are struggling. So uh, I guess this is our early disclaimer that We will be doing a podcast tonight. We are previewing the Sooners matchup with Kansas State, and we're hoping that by the time this drops on Wednesday and you start hearing it, that the Wednesday round of testing hasn't nullified everything that's about to happen. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think this is what we're going to have to deal with as we go through the year. You mentioned it, Missouri State. Oklahoma was the one in trouble, it looked like, from, you know, getting the game played. And when you see 19 guys, counting the guys that were already suspended from the bowl game you know for the marijuana test and everything there were 19 guys off the two deep missing and you you had to wonder if that game was going to get played and I think that's going to be the roller coaster ride that we're on as football fans and as football media covering it all season long look at Notre Dame they already had their game canceled for this yeah and it's just like um, I was all geeked out about Baylor and Houston last weekend because a Um, New coaching staff coming into Baylor. You don't know what to expect. Obviously, they faced off with the Sooners in the Big 12 championship game last season. So you're wondering, we want to get to see a good look at them. Secondly, it was going to be the first good non-conference game the Bears have played in, it seems like, forever outside of the little home and home they did with Duke, if we want to count that. That game gets scrapped on pretty much, what, Friday? So it's almost like you can't even get your hopes up this college football season. You just have to roll out of bed on Saturday morning and be happy that you've got whatever games you got. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, anyone that's going to criticize anything about this season, if you're a football fan and if you're griping about the quality of games on a weekend or just, you know, I wish they were playing somebody different. Hey, take take it for what it is this year. It's football. We were to a point in what, mid-July, Ryan, where we didn't think we were going to get here. A lot of people were already saying it's done, it's over. And if you listen to the idiot Dan Wilkins of the world. I mean, yeah, it would have been over. They would have been back in their closet hiding away, but it's kind of nice to see that we've moved on. And it, it, what's really good. I, I say a lot of things and I'll say this about last week's game or two weeks ago with Missouri state. There's a lot of good things with the testing. And I think they need to be doing this testing through and through. I'm not, you know, an anti-masker. I'm not this, I'm not getting political. They need to be doing this. But I do think when we look at last week, when we look at what happened to Baylor, they're going to have to find something as we get closer to flu season and it starts blowing up even more on this contact tracing. Because guys like Baylor last week, they had the gentleman that what passed five tests in a 12-day period, but because of contact tracing, he still wasn't eligible. And so that's why I look about it and worry about how they're going to get through this season. Because... I, I I understand you and I, we're not doctors. I don't understand the virus totally, but you would think five negatives in a row. And especially when one of the negatives is the day before the game, why can't he play? Why can't they take another 15 minute test on Saturday morning to go, Hey, he's good to go. He's negative. Well, That's two takeaways, two takeaways. First off, I'm glad that uh, per your standards, college football has come out of the closet <clears throat> this season to uh, play. Secondly, um, 
I, I don't understand how I, I get that the NBA bubbled. And so the NBA is has to be considered differently. But the protocol for when you left the bubble in the NBA was a baseline. If you're in the bubble, you obviously don't have it. Then if you leave and you test every single day, once you return to the bubble, you only had to sit in what a two day quarantine or you just had to wait for two negative tests. Yeah. So I don't understand well, no, how if, you if test every day, it, yeah, it was two days. It was basically right. when you got back, it's two days out if you had test every day. Yeah. So I don't understand why you can't maybe not two days, because like we said, you're not bubbling, you're on a college campus, things like that. But there should be some sort of threshold of if you have X number of negative tests, you're not going to lose 14 days to contact tracing. And like you said, that's what's killing people right now. We talked to Lincoln Riley last weekend during the bye week, and he basically said right now the rapid tests were great for that Friday because it allowed Oklahoma to test in the morning and then literally call Missouri State before they even got like left the parking lot to say, yes, this game is happening. I don't understand why if we can make those determinations, we can't pull guys out of the contact trace quarantine because Lincoln Riley said, even though they have the rapid tests, it doesn't matter if you are pinged for contact tracing 14 days, no exceptions, doesn't matter what test you take. So they've got to figure that out because that's what's at risk of killing college football right now is just contact tracing. Yeah, and you kind of wonder, and I granted they don't have the budgets the NFL has, but how come can't they look at what the NFL is doing and they've got to have the same contact tracing issues, but you don't see any of these games in jeopardy because they're testing. And here's the thing with the 15 minute test, would it change it if they go to daily test? I know the big 12 set this up for three tests a week, you know, and that was kind of to get them through. And then they did the 15 minute test for Friday Add two more days. I mean, if you're the big 12 and you're really wanting this TV money, which, I mean, let's be honest, when we get down to the grass, the brass taxes of everything here, it, a lot of it is about TV money because these athletic programs needed to go on and these conferences needed. Well, why wouldn't you go ahead and just pave the extra money for Thursday and Friday? And if that's the amount of tests you need to do to have somebody eligible before the 14 days, why not do it just to get things going? That, well, that's I, what I can't figure out because I get safety, but at a certain point, when is when is enough enough on the negative test? We could say you don't even have to add that many more tests. Add one test a week, four test days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You've got those four straight test days to keep everybody out. And then, like you said, maybe one Saturday you have one guy that went into contact tracing on Tuesday but tested negative Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you could then go and administer that one extra test Saturday morning first thing before you put him out on the field with his teammates, the other team, all that stuff. I Like like you said, we're not doctors, but I feel like if you come back with four negative tests, you're probably going to be okay to play a football game. No, I, I fully agree. I, I think that's the thing we got to wait and look for. But, you know, Ryan, enough on this. I think we can get into more of it because we're going to talk about it with the Kansas State game coming up. But I mean, Spencer Rattler, that's the guy I think for year, for what, four years, Oklahoma fans have almost been excited to see. And I, I mean, I know when I looked at his debut, you've got to take into fact it was Missouri State, not a good team at all. But I think the other fact you go through and you look and you see the throws, they were on the money. He wasn't overthrowing people. And a lot of people have said, yeah, but he's not progressing. Well, it, it's hard to go. He's progressing through routes when the guys were open. I think what you got to take out of Rattler's debut 
was the fact, hey, he's hitting them in stride. He's he's making the right throws. He's on the back shoulder. He he's leading them in the right direction. You know, I think that's the positive you take out of his debut and just his flat out composure for his first start of his vision one football. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway was like kind of like you said, Randy, he looked he was in control of that offense from the jump and he made it look so easy. And that's basically like you said, it's Missouri State. We get it. That's an FCS program. They were not a particularly good FCS program last year. So you're not even bringing in the best of that, you know, lower level. That's a middling team. But like you said, he looked in control. He made it look incredibly easy which is what you want to see and I was just impressed by the array of throws that we saw Um, both of the Rambo touchdowns two very different balls one's just a straight up deep ball the other one Rambo's coming across over the middle you have to hit him in stride so that he can immediately turn his body upfield and beat the defenders to the boundary we talk about that pass to Theo Weiss that you know long back shoulder throw right on the sideline perfect on the money hell even the Austin Stogner dropped touchdown where he was fitting it in between a linebacker and a safety, some tight windows. He made every throw you would want him to see. And it looked like he barely broke a sweat. So I think that for a lot of what we saw against Missouri state, which we can kind of go, you know, unit by unit if we want to, but that's a thing where the negatives shine way brighter than the positives. But as long as you are making it look easy and doing what you're supposed to do it, yes, you don't want to get too excited about it, but, that that's the only game we have to evaluate him off of. And he, he checked every box from the jump. No doubt. And I'm telling you that pass to Rambo, his first incompletion of the game, the, the touch that should have been a touchdown. Right. That may have been his best pass of the day. I mean, it, it was ridiculous watching him and I am excited. And I, and I so hope this Kansas state game gets in because even though they lost in week one to Arkansas state, they're a step up and they're a lot better than Missouri state. And they'll probably be a pretty decent team by the end of the year. So this would be a good test for him before heading the road to play Iowa state names in two weeks. So this is a big game for him coming up. And I I like what I see out of him and I'm ready to see him go up against a little bit stiffer competition now. Yeah, for sure. And similarly, just staying on that (laughs) offensive side of the ball uh, for me, the offensive line is really hard to evaluate just because by, from what we can tell, based off of the depth chart that was released and then who ended up playing. That was a unit ravaged by contact tracing or positive test. So for me, it's hard to say some, a unit that has to be as cohesive as the offensive line. Like they weren't great run blocking. They were fine protecting Spencer Rattler, but they had a ton of bodies missing. So like, I don't want to even focus too much on that because I don't know what they have if, if they don't have their starting unit together, which, which fair or not fair um, they could go the whole season like that this year, but I kind of want to talk about Marvin Mims, Randy. Um, is he going to leapfrog Charleston Rambo as Oklahoma's next big wide receiver? You, you know, he could be. And, and what's funny is, and, and kind of sad in some ways, where everyone's jumping on the Marvin Mims bandwagon. And, and I think rightfully so. He's a freak athlete, got great speed. Even Riley said today on the press conference, maybe the one of the fastest guys on the team. But we're all forgetting, I mean, you mentioned Rambo. Heck, next in line is Theo Weiss. It's Jaden Hazelwood, who Riley mentioned today could be back. It's Trajan Bridges. Let's not forget, those three guys were the top three receivers in the country, or three of the top four, depending on the recruiting rankings you looked at, when they came out. And Weiss looked very impressive. And if you go back and you look at that Baylor game from last year when those guys had to step up, 
Hazelwood was good. Weiss was good. Bridges was good. As good as Mims is, and he may get the benefit here with Hazelwood being out for a while and only having Weiss and Bridges being out, that he may step up into that role as the next big one. But this receiving core, to be honest with you, Ryan, it may be the best receiving core I can remember in Oklahoma in the modern era. I mean, because instead of having just that next guy to step up, like for years, you've always had, you know, Ryan Broyles, then Sterling Shepard was next, then D.D. Westbrook was next, then Marquise Brown. You know, and there were good players behind him. This is one heck of a receiving core right now. And that's what I'm most excited to watch for out of this record this year. Yeah, this this has the potential to step into that Alabama territory that we've seen with um, having mm-hmm. Waddle, Ruggs, mm-hmm. Judy, all in the same wide receiver room. Like you had all these guys that got to basically sit back and learn from C.D. Lamb last year because just due to the fact of you know the adjustments all you had to make, the, the Jalen Hurts offense essentially, you're not spreading out too often with five wide, things like that. Um, so I'm really excited. Theo Weiss, I feel like, was kind of the odd man out against Missouri State, mainly because I think Oklahoma got up so quickly that there was no need for him to continue to get a run out with the ones. But he was the only one that didn't really catch mm-hmm. three or four balls. And and it's one of those things that I I kind of, you know, coming into the season, had my eyes on Theo Weiss um, just because I really like Charleston Rambo. I think he's a good wide receiver. He's obviously got top end speed and he can make those catches in traffic. I've just always been maybe questioned once he gets the ball he doesn't seem to have that game breaking potential that cd lamb and marquise brown had that you know um he can get behind the defense and score that way but he's not going to bob and weave through three or four defenders we just haven't seen that out of him yet we saw that out of theo weiss and waco and we've seen flashes of that out of hazelwood and i think that um in the punt return game more than anything against missouri state you kind of saw that with marvin mims that he was taking the ball and, and it's one of those guys that you could tell after that first punt return that the stadium kind of held its breath all, you know, 20,000 people that were there because you thought you felt at any moment that ball could go straight to the house. Yeah, no. And that's what I like about him. He brings in so many other things. He reminds me a lot of the young CD lamb, because you mentioned the punt return CD in his early days worked on the special teams, but even, even CD didn't have those moves that Mims was showing. And again, there was a lot of open space. We have to, you, I hate that you always have to preface when you talk about the Missouri State game that it was Missouri State. But just the core basic moves and everything that he did shows a lot of upside. And to be honest, that brings Oklahoma something into their special teams game that they haven't had in a few years. I mean, we all remember the great Antonio Perkins, Ryan Broyles of the world, you know, but this guy looks like he can bring some of that offense back in the special teams unit. And if that's all he ends up doing this year, that's a big plus. But I think we saw out of Mims in game one, he's going to do a lot more than that. Yeah. And I think with, you know, when, once Shane Beamer came in, you knew it was no longer going to be punt safe for days. And you kind of saw that with CD Lamb the last year or two that, yeah, he's not necessarily breaking huge ones off, but consistently 10, 15 yards, but yeah, Mims looks like the first guy since maybe Jalen Saunders that you say the game could change anytime the defense can force a punt, which to talk about the defense real quick, Randy, um, last little bit on the Missouri State game before we move on to Kansas State. It was really hard for me to evaluate the defense, which is crazy saying as they put up what the first shutout in five seasons and all that stuff, mm-hmm. just because I was looking at, hey, we know that Ronnie Perkins is going to miss 
five games this season, counting the Missouri State game, that he's not going to miss four games. Um, so I'm like, hey, who's going to show up? You're having to replace Neville Gallimore, having to replace Kenneth Murray and Parnell Motley. Who's going to show up to to help that defense out until you get your premier edge rusher back? And I was really pleased with how Perion Winfrey came in. I was pleased with Isaiah Thomas, the linebackers, um, Asamoah and Deshaun White look solid. And to me, it's like, yes, they got the shutout. But it, but again, Missouri State, let's see how how they uh, come out against Kansas State. And I fully agree with that. But the one thing I will say, I mean, Oklahoma's played Missouri State level teams over the last few years. And you talk about it, it's been five years since the shutout. They had some guys miss, not only with suspended guys, but other guys were out of that game. So what I look at as the positive, because you're right, it's hard to take a lot out of it because, I mean, if they gave up points, people would have ripped them. If they don't give up points, everyone's like, yeah, but look who they played. I still look at the fact it was a shutout. And the other part I look at, because this just comes down to fundamentals, there weren't a lot of those busts in the secondary where you just went, oh, wow, look, even though they're playing a team that they should ran, run roughshod over and they're doing that, look at that. It's midway through the third quarter and Patrick Fields is out of place and there goes a guy running wide open down the middle of the field, 15 right. yards, no one around him. So that's what I took out of it. The defensive line, I think Bonito, his pass rushing ability – it even looked like it's taken up a step. Now, hey, you're missing Ronnie Perkins. Jalen Redman, rightfully so, with everything he's had health condition-wise, opting out of this year. So, I mean, you don't know if you've replaced that yet, but at least you got a good feeling that there are some guys on that team that can get the rush. And Osimo, I'm telling you, that kid, I liked him a lot last year, and I, and I was thinking to myself going in at the end of the last year, if you could just get Kenneth Murray to come back – Having those two guys, if you moved them up in different positions, and that's one heck of a linebacker core because you've got a drop-off. Don't get me wrong. You've lost a first-round draft pick. But instead of being like it's been in past years where, hey, you lose this guy to the NFL and you really don't have any clues going to fill in, I feel like they've got a pretty good fill-in. It's a drop-off, but it's not like off the side of the Grand Canyon drop-off. Yeah, and the other thing, too, which this rears its ugly head no matter who you're playing, is how fast this defense played. They were very, very quickly mm -hmm. recognizing, hey, they were keying on, that's a run block being thrown. Let's all get downhill and get into those rushing lanes, things like that, along with you know, no real defensive busts in the back end, like you said. Uh, the other thing being that I really liked is they had the one turnover on Darian <clears throat> Turner-Yale's interception. They should have had two or three more, which going back to last season, we know that Alex Grinch preaches turnovers, and the Sooners played really good defense until Kansas State last season, but had forced so few turnovers. And it was like they weren't even getting in that position to drop interceptions, which was like the one negative through non-conference last year against Missouri State. They probably should have had three turnovers. And and I think that it's just a matter of time that they've started to put themselves in that position. Like, I think the floodgates are about to open with Alex Grinch's, you know, turnover philosophy. Well, and I do think you see a second year of a defensive coordinator in that position. And he didn't even get the spring season to go through it and work more on it with some of these young guys. I mean, that that's the one thing I like. I mean, you look at, you talk about guys being in the right position. Woody Washington, remember how bad he looked at times in the bowl game? And granted, he was thrown in there because of the suspensions and everything like that and Bookie getting kicked out and injuries. But he looked like a fish out of water. And again, it's Missouri State, but the key was he was in the right spots on Saturday. 
you know, he, he did the right things. And so that's where you got to feel good about where this defense is heading just for the fact you get Grinch in there. He's got another year in this system. These guys have had some time and they're starting to learn and be in the right spots. And I think that will correct a lot of what went wrong last year. So we'll just have to wait and see. But you're right, Kansas State this week, to me, that's the big test just for the fact I don't care that they lost their opener. The reason to me it's a big test, look what happened last year. This defense, you're out with some of those guys you mentioned. How do they respond this week? They've got to have a little toughness because since Kansas State lost the one, the first game, if they have enough guys ready to go, my God, you know they're going to be playing tough. For sure, for sure. And it seems like, you know, the question is, unfortunately, will they have enough guys ready to go? It, it looks like of the teams that actually played, so we're going to take any any Big 12 team who had their game postponed out of the way. That's what TCU, Baylor, those guys. Of the teams that played, Oklahoma and Kansas State, just by you know what we saw, appeared to be the two with the most problems as far as positive tests or contact tracing in their openers. This week, opening conference play, it's even more important that you get all those people back, especially because now the there is no more you play a game by week you play a game by week we're getting into the thick of conference schedule and, and randy lincoln riley today kind of talked about what what the struggle with that is i think it's really tough tough to predict um you know this would be the first stretch like you said of consecutive games so be interested to see you know how that goes not only for us but but everybody else in our conference and uh i mean it was good to have the bye week when we did certainly glad that we uh, ended up scheduling that the way that we did and, you know, happy that we were able to play. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, with obviously you just don't have that cushion now, um, you know, that, that you've had, you know, with three straight, you know, important games coming up. And so obviously we got to continue to handle it better. Um, understand that, you know, a guy makes a mistake or gets popped in contact tracing now, it's, it's not going to be one game. It's likely to be multiple games. So I guess the question is, Randy, we heard Lincoln right there talk about um, being mindful of things. Is it the football team that the individual players, can they control if they get popped for a contact trace? Because, I mean, they're with the whole student body. I feel like you could have if you're in a dorm room and you have other athletes on your floor from other sports, if they're having the troubles, that could be the reason you get a contact trace. And it's not really anything you've done, even if you're staying in your dorm the whole time. Yeah, that, that's kind of the fear, I think. I mean, let's use Oklahoma for an example. Soccer's the one that's had a problem. Their first two games have been canceled. I don't know whether it's all due to positive tests, contact tracing for them, but think about it. If they're living in the same dorm with some of the – most of the veterans usually don't live in the athletic dorm, but the young guys, if they're living in those same dorms and that's how these players are getting contact traced – who knows how it's going to play out? But I think that goes back to our earlier discussion, and we won't even get all back into it. But they're going to have to figure out a testing scenario that helps these guys get eligible because, Ryan, it's it's probably only going to get worse to a degree. But I'm going to try to be a little positive here. And I know Riley says consecutive games. He worries about, you know, how they can do it and everything. I'm hoping maybe the fact they're literally into game week every week now, it gives players a little less freedom right and time on their own that maybe whether it was hey they didn't work out as much on Saturdays so not that they did anything wrong but they went and had dinner you know out on campus corner and that caused 
you know, some contact tracing. Maybe this cuts down on some of that and we get into a steady flow, hopefully. Yeah, and it's obviously it can be done because we look at that Oklahoma State game, the other in-state game that happened on OU's bye week. Oklahoma State seemed relatively contact trace free. I know that Illingsworth, the the third string quarterback that ended up coming in, the reason he probably didn't start out once Spencer Sanders left the game was because he was in a contact trace for the two weeks prior, but it seemed like OSU had almost all hands on deck. And and so you kind of wonder, it. that's just been my thing of, they talk about the contact tracing being the killer. I, I always wonder how much control do you actually have? But I think that's a good point of, if they can stay inside, things like that, knowing that, hey, we almost had a game nixed because of contact tracing. We have to do an even better job of staying away from everyone else. Like it, it is what it is. But I, I think that just like we're kind of tired talking about it, the coaching staff, I think, and everyone involved is tired talking about it because Lincoln Riley was also asked about what Fridays actually are like for the team, knowing you go through that round of testing. And, and I was kind of shocked by how just it is what it is Lincoln Riley was. Take a listen here. The test, honestly, I mean, we 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 get it done, and then we you know we have things going on as the results are being processed. We're we're kind of into our normal Friday routine, so I don't know that we're necessarily like sitting there waiting on pins and needles. It's just you, you get the results when you get them, and I mean that's sure the Friday tests are you know you, you think about those. I mean they're all they're kind of all the same to me. I mean they've all got the same result, and and. Um, so, yeah, I, we're honestly probably set on pins and needles more with the first ones we had. Now that we, we do it so often, it's it's uh, um, maybe a little bit more used to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we all – staff goes down there along with the players. We we get tested, and then uh, I get a phone call from, from Scott Anderson, and it's either a happy phone call or a sad phone call, um, as are most of my calls from Scott Anderson. So, yeah, I mean, the coaches seem pretty done with it. I don't, I feel like we're all pretty done with it as well. You know, and I, a lot of people go, well, this is why they should play in the spring. And I get it. They're, they're worn out, but I guarantee you ask these coaches, you ask the players, they'd rather be doing this right now than playing a March season. I mean, so again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier. Let's be happy. We have football. We know there's going to be some hiccups in the season and maybe the biggest hiccup for Oklahoma might be, a scare in week one and a scare in week two, because you have to think that scare in week one, because it sounds like OU for the most part is pretty clean for this week. Wouldn't you agree with that, Ryan? Yeah, it it definitely is a totally different vibe in the uh, press conferences with Riley and the players this go around than it was leading up to the Missouri state game. So you have to hope maybe one of the reasons that is, is this is just, Hey, we self-policed, and I'm talking about the players, went, hey, guys, we almost didn't get this game in. We want to play it because Oklahoma's got a lot on the line this year. Say what you want. With the way this season's going to break down, let's be real, the Big 12 looks like garbage so far. I mean, Texas is the only team that's really been impressive. Yeah, I know West Virginia, but I don't think they're even in the conversation. Oklahoma State, who's supposed to be a contender in the conference, they look like hot garbage on Saturday, having a rally to win that game against Tulsa. And so Oklahoma's in a great shot to end up in the playoff again. And so maybe you see a lot of these guys going, hey, whatever we did before the Missouri State game, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Let's do this to make sure we get all these games in. And you kind of wonder if that's how the rest of the teams will go. They see like Kansas State nearly losing out a game. 
And now they'll all start self-policing themselves a little more. Yeah, and that's why I kind of feel like, assuming that we get through the Wednesday um, news, the the Wednesday testing, I really feel like this game's going to happen. And and I'm really excited for it because, like we said, last year, Kansas State was the only team in conference that uh, was ultimately able to beat the Sooners, the only one outside of Baylor that really gave them a ton of trouble that wasn't just completely self-inflicted stuff we think about. Iowa State getting back into that game late. Well, you know, Jalen Hurts and CeeDee Lamb both helped him out. Things like that. Kansas State, straight up, they just forced Oklahoma to kick some field goals in that first half last year in Manhattan and was there to pounce when the Sooners did turn the ball over. I'm interested to see. Obviously, it's not the same team. And if if they're depleted, it's going to change things. But they were the only ones that were really able to take advantage of Oklahoma's defense wanting to be aggressive and get downhill and play fast. They threw every run concept in the book at him last year, Randy. And for about three quarters, Alex Grinch's defense was absolutely on their heels. So I think there's a lot that we could learn, even from a depleted Kansas State side, just of um, the two styles, how they don't mesh very well and how it's kind of like they each play to each other's weaknesses and whoever executes the best is going to win the game. No, no doubt. And, and I think you're right when you say that we'll know after test on Wednesday. I think we'll know a lot because Kleiman said today, basically it's one group and they're one player away from maybe not doing it. If you get through Wednesday, you feel pretty good. But I think this game in general is a testing, a barometer. I mentioned it's another year in the Grinch system. You know, it's one of those areas where Oklahoma has a chance to show they've made improvement. And no matter what type of Kansas State team they play, they're still going to be playing that hard-nosed, gritty, tough team that wasn't a good match for Oklahoma last week. I mean, last year. So you look at it, this could be the opportunity that they go out, and if they win, let's just say, even if it's 35 to 10, that's a step. Those are steps no matter what Kansas State team shows up on the field on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. And I guess I would say, too, flipping over to the offensive side of the ball, what are your expectations from Spencer Rattler out of this game? Because conference play is just different. These are teams that have to prepare for Lincoln Riley year in, year out. I understand that every time Lincoln gets a new quarterback that the offense changes a little bit, but the staples of the Lincoln Riley offense, things that they want to do, the guard tackle pool, things like that, all of those things remain the same. So I'm really interested to see, is it the the best defense in the world? Is it the 85 Bears? No, but Kansas State plays sound football. They're well coached. And Spencer Rattler is going to have to think his way through this game because uh, I really, really would be surprised if those huge chunk plays are there uh, a ton of times. I think you'll get a few of those, but I think that'll have to end up be more on the yak. And once the receivers get the ball making a play as opposed to just broken coverage and guys running free downfield. No doubt about it. And I think what you want to see, and we talked about it earlier, that he didn't have to go through a progression in routes. He didn't, you know, he, he really was able, even with a backup offensive line in a lot of spots, was able to settle in the pocket. You know, Klein is going to try to do some things with Kansas State to really mix it up, force the issue. You want to see that composure out of a young quarterback going through progressions or routes, seeing how he can handle what's going on on the field. And I think that that's kind of the thing we're going to be watching this week. I want to see him be composed back there and not have some of those freshman yips you've seen out of some other guys. Now, the one thing I say, I'll say this, Rattler doesn't seem to be that type to get real nervous. And I think it's, it's a good year, to be honest. And it's a home game. 
but even when they go to Iowa State in a couple of weeks, it's a good year to be a freshman starting quarterback because you're going to get a lot of games under your belt without 60,000 rabid fans screaming at you. Either it's your home fans upset that you're not making the right plays or on the road, it's crowd getting in your head. So that that's a one good thing for a young quarterback like Rattler this year. You're getting to go out there and get your feet wet pretty much in, you know, just against the other team, not many fans against you. Yeah, and this is something that we will obviously talk about here in three weeks if OU Texas is still on and playing, but there's the stat that looms out about OU Texas about first-time starters in an OU Texas game and how awful their record has been over the last 20, 25 years. Like you said, it's going to be so unique once we get to that game of, yes, it's in the Cotton Bowl, no, there's no state fair, it's not full, things like that, and and a lot of the expectations, not inside the program, because in Norman, it's always going to be championship or bust. But everyone else around it, all of us covering the team, all that stuff, we all kind of thought, you know, next year, 2021 is the year to circle for this team to truly make a run and be that championship caliber team. The difference being that they're so young this year, we didn't think they'd be able to make that. But for this young team to take that step, uh, what better year than this? No doubt. And and I think the COVID year helps this team because I I think you're right. In the grand scheme of things, they're a year away. They're so young everywhere across the field. But I think when you look at it in this year, it's a chance to take advantage of some opportunities and get these guys because everyone can look at it and go, hey, this, this season may have an asterisk or whatever. But I guarantee you Oklahoma goes out and wins a college football playoff, even one game. say they win the semifinal game and just make the title don't win it all that's a step for this young team that they haven't been able to get over anyway so far in the playoffs so that's why I look at it as a positive whatever can come out of this playoff wise absolutely absolutely so I guess assuming we have a game Randy it's hard really hard I feel like to handicap this game or things like that but what kind of score are you projecting out of this like I see this as a assuming everything's good 45 to 14, 45 to 17, that would be an outstanding day in the office for the Sooners. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking 42 to 10. I, I think Kansas State, we don't know what position group. Sounds like it may be some offensive line. So that's going to help OU's defense. I think they're going to be able to hold them in check. And until Riley proves to me that whatever quarterback he puts back there is not going to be able to score points. I'm going to count on the offense going up and rolling out some numbers. So I'm thinking 42 to 10, but let's just hope we get this game. And I'm feeling confident that if Kleiman says it's only one guy, I don't know what would happen in the contact trace that would keep that group from playing. But you would think that was, that group, they would have almost some lockdown to make sure they don't you know, get into any contact tracing. So I'd say about 42 to 10 is my prediction for Saturday. Yeah, throw that man into solitary confinement. We're sorry, but it's what needs to happen for this game to go down this weekend. But uh, we will have a ton of fun for everyone. Sunday, we're going to get back together and do the post-game pod. Some other members of the Highball Network might join us, some of our good friends. Who knows? So keep it locked in here. Randy, thank you for your time as always. And I can't wait to get started going through this because once we get out of football season, this is not just an OU football podcast. We intend to cover every aspect of the OU Athletic Department. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm going to cover it from top to bottom. Let's just hope we have games and everything, you know, in every sport. But it, 
that's what's great about the podcast now. You're able to cover a lot of different stuff that may have not always got the attention that it deserves. And it, it should be a lot of fun doing it this entire season, an entire year covering Oklahoma Athletics. For sure, for sure. Well, for Randy Heights, I am Ryan Chapman. We are the Heisman Park Rangers, and uh, stay safe, everybody. We'll talk to you on Sunday.